0: I already made her cry once today, so I'm okay. going to be careful. you got to give this up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Baby toy. So, <clears throat> like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that by you may grow in respect to salvation. I was actually talking with somebody about it just this last week. Uh, Kayla, wasn't it? you and I? No. Yeah, we were talking about this last week. So as babies, um, obviously they grow up, and I was just watching Sawyer this morning crawl across the floor. She's like speeding on and, uh But as she's growing up, uh, she's gonna learn language, and she's gonna learn uh, what it is be a. Uh, Revelation chapter one. Rather, Revelation chapter two. I think I have on there Revelation 1. That's not correct. So don't look at that. It's the right caption, wrong, wrong verses. Revelation 2, 1-7. to 7. And as you turn there, if you would stand with me as we read together. <coughs> Revelation chapter 2, beginning to read there in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... To one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord, when we open your word, we always have something to learn. And maybe there's uh, some familiar passages we go through, but even still, Lord, as we spend time in your word, it seems like new things come to the forefront, and I pray this morning that would be the case from Revelation 2, that we would learn from this Christian church as you put it in here for that reason, that we would learn. But more importantly, that we would take the lessons that are in this passage for our lives and for this church. And so, Lord, we submit to your word now this morning in humility, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. So we come now to um, the specific address to the church at Ephesus, and this is the beginning of of a number of uh, addresses that Jesus is going to make to the churches in western Turkey. But as I mentioned before, these uh, addresses to these churches are not just meant uh, for them. They were all to read uh, all the different letters that were going through to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, etc. And so it's also for us. Did you notice there in verse 7, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And this is because other churches, we can learn from churches' mistakes and from their errors. Every church can learn from that. And as such, this letter to Ephesus is meant for us to read and understand and apply even here at Pine Ridge. But of course, different churches have different problems, and so that's why Jesus uh, takes time to address them individually. And some of those problems, as we're going to go through, some of them are minor... But some of them are major. In the case of the Ephesian church, they were in a major problem. They were in deep trouble as a church. But I want to give you some background to this church before we dive in here. As, uh, as David Jackman would say, if you're going to preach from Corinthians, you've got to go to Corinth first. And if we're going to preach about uh, the Ephesus church, we need to go to Ephesus first. And so I want to uh, take you back through the history of this church, when it was founded, all the way up until the point that we find them here in Revelation chapter 2. And if you're taking notes, you can just put Acts 18 through to 20. This is going to be the first section that I'll be getting my information from on the church at Ephesus. The church, uh, rather, the the city of Ephesus was an exploding center of pagan spirituality, especially in the area of practicing magic. Of course, the Apostle Paul, he went there and he planted this church. But before he got there, this was a a massive place of pagan spirituality. Especially in the area of practicing magic. Because uh, for those of you who are with me, um, I don't know, a few years back, when we went through 1 Timothy, uh, we went back through and and noted that they spent about $12.5 million on magic that they burned in books. So once they gave their life to Jesus Christ... They had all this extra cash before as uh, pagans and and immersed in pagan spirituality. When they gave their life to Jesus Christ, they took all of their magic books, put them into a pile, and the equivalent today would be about $12.5 million. Lots of extra money these guys had, and uh, pagan spirituality was a big deal, especially practicing magic. Now, this may have been the key reason why when Paul came with his message of Jesus, he, uh, God accompanied uh, with Paul all kinds of signs and wonders with the gospel message. It was supernatural beyond things that we've ever read, really, in Scripture. And it got the attention of the Ephesians. So God was confirming his message with Paul through crazy signs and wonders. He, people were even getting healed, and demons were exercised through handkerchiefs that had just touched Paul. Again, this is a very spiritual city. And so maybe God was using this to grab their attention. Idolatry also was rampant in Ephesus. They worshipped the goddess Artemis or Diana. And as a result, they, uh, many people had household idols. They were silver idols dedicated to Artemis. And it was so popular that several businesses were, um, um, were there in Ephesus with their um, only business as to make these idols uh, dedicated to Artemis. You could say then that Ephesus was a wealthy city, plenty of extra cash to burn, but also uh, a real center of pagan spirituality and idolatry and magic. However, when, when Paul came with the message of Jesus Christ, many people gave their life to the Lord. And we find that Paul, he actually spent the longest time in this city out of any city that he had ever planted. He spent three years in this city. And what he did is he set up this daily teaching ministry school uh, in a place called the School of Tyrannus, probably some kind of rented building, maybe something like this. And he was there every single day, and he was teaching the people uh, and discipling them in the way of the Lord. In addition, there were house churches set up in the city where Paul would regularly do his teaching rounds. The result of this uh, this church being planted and Paul's ministry efforts for three years in discipling uh, these people was that it says in Acts uh, 18 there that the word of God spread throughout Asia. So as a result of the the Ephesus church and the emphasis Paul was putting on discipleship there, there was this missionary type explosion where people went out from Ephesus sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And so by the time that Paul left Ephesus, this church was well established. We don't hear anything about this church for about another eight years until Paul wrote the letter to what we know as the letter to the Ephesians. It was about in AD 52. At that point, the church was doing generally well, but problems were beginning to emerge. And if you're wondering where I'm getting this information from, just jot your notes, this is from the book of Ephesians. So eight years now uh, into the life of the church at Ephesus, they were doing fairly well, uh, actually, in their area, in the area of love, according to chapter 1 and verse 15. It talks about their love for all the saints, and uh, Paul knew this, and they were known for it. But there were signs that their love was fading. Ephesians chapter 4 reads this way. No longer walkers and Gentiles do. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be put away from you. Instead, be kind-hearted to one another, and don't let immorality or greed be named among you. Now, how pervasive these problems were, we don't know. We're not sure. But the language of disqualification, as we find it here in Revelation 2, was not the language Paul was was giving to them back in the letter to Ephesians. So it hadn't reached to the disqualification level yet. If you will, after Paul had written this letter again there's a, some silence for about another two years <coughs> two years later, in a letter to uh, first in, in a letter called First Timothy, we find out that Ephesus got into trouble doctrinally they got into trouble doctrinally, maybe they had turned. The, the corner in their problem with initial love because there's not much in First Timothy about uh, instructions on love. So maybe they had taken care of that to some degree. But heresy, now that was the problem in in, uh, in Ephesus. And so Paul, he sends Timothy to go fix it. You need to go fix this problem. Timothy had to clean it up. And there was false leaders in the church. False doctrine was being taught and pr- promoting aspects of the law. These guys were... Um, were touted as being experts in the law. And what they were emphasizing is all the aspects of the law that had no effect on a person's character. Now this heresy problem really came as no surprise to Paul because he prophesied that this was going to happen. Remember, he brought the elders together in Acts chapter 20 and he prophesied there and he said, after I go, there's going to be savage wolves who come among you and are going to be teaching false doctrine. So this is not a surprise to Paul. And false doctrine, then, was the main problem when we find them about 10 years into uh, into the life of the church. Unqualified people were in leadership. There's other problems like confusion around family roles and wealth, as I've already mentioned. That was also a problem in Ephesus. Secular people, they spent their millions on the non-essentials of magic books and silver shrines. The Christians, uh, according to 1 Timothy, they were getting caught up in their extravagant appearances. Gold and pearls and expensive clothing were splashed all over themselves. In general, money had also become their security. So there are problems 10 years in. We don't know how long it took for Timothy to clean up the problem of heresy in Ephesus. But 30 years later, which is where we find him in Revelation 2, they were actually commended for it. They had cleaned up the problem of false doctrine. They had cleaned up the problem of heresy in the church. So we're looking really at a span of about a 40-year history in Ephesus when we get to Revelation chapter 2. And although they were doing well in some areas, like their intolerance of false doctrine, there were other areas that were more serious. And I want to read it to you again. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. They are not, and you found them to be false." You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary, but this I have against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So we find here at the beginning that they're commended for the way that they would not tolerate any heresy, they would not tolerate false doctrine in the church. And Jesus commends them for this. Remember, this is a problem about three decades earlier when Timothy was there. That was a problem. But maybe Timothy had cleaned it up or the people had gotten the message. They had no time for a wicked man. They had no time for false apostles. And they were commended for this. And they, it says in the text here that they found them out to be false. Means that they, This means that they had some kind of way of testing them. And so if these people were to show up and they were to have the title of of an apostle, this really carried little weight to the church at Ephesus. What they taught is what they were evaluating. And this doctrinal protection appears to also be the case in the issue of the Nicolaitans we find there in verse 6. Not too much is known about these guys, but as we will get into in chapter 2 and verse 15, there is clearly a link to idolatry there. And we'll get into this more when we get into chapter 2, verse 15. But although the church was doing very well in the area of doctrinal purity, they were failing in love. They were failing in love. From these verses, we know that historically, this church had been doing well in this area. Go back to the deeds you were doing at first. They were doing well in this area. But they had left their first love. I think the NIV says, you have forsaken your first love. And there's different opinions as to what this first love is really referring to. We don't know, and so we can't be too dogmatic. Was it that their love toward God was failing, or their love towards one another was failing, or maybe it was a combination of the two? We don't know. What we do know is that lack of Christian love was the problem. Lack of Christian love was clearly the problem in Ephesus. And it would appear that they're putting all of their emphasis on doctrine. We've got to get right doctrine. We won't tolerate false doctrine. And again, they're commended for this. But this loveless group of Christians had to change. And without repentance, their lampstand would be removed. Now, what I find very interesting about this text is, is that if they stay the course of their behavior, they would be removed as a lampstand. They would be removed as a church. So if they stay the course, exactly what they're doing, they'd be removed as a lampstand. My question is, why aren't they removed already? If they're already functioning this way, why not get them removed already? I mean, I think it's quite often, If back to what you know. They knew it. They knew what it was to be genuine followers of Jesus and practicing Christian love. They knew this. He's just asking them to go back to that. But it didn't matter that they had a history of that. History does not matter. And sometimes I've heard some Christians say, well, I did pray at one point. I did in my history. My history has a place where I was genuine in my prayer. I was genuine in my Christian love. We've got the story here in Ephesians where God and Jesus Christ says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was genuine. What matters is, are you persevering? Are you persevering in that love? If not, Jesus will remove them. Secondly, The grace of Jesus may, and I say that on purpose, the grace of Jesus may cover a Christian church when they are no longer practicing love. That's hard for me to even put into a lesson here, but that's the grace of God. The grace of Jesus may cover a Christian church when they are no longer practicing love, but such grace will not continue if they do not repent. Now, I am grateful for that grace, and that grace is beyond anything that I deserve. It's beyond anything that this Ephesian church deserves. But the grace of God is there, And it was even there with the church who was no longer practicing Christian love. But we cannot presume upon that grace. Thirdly, although solid teaching and heretical intolerance are good qualities to have as a church, without the practice of godly love, they will not be called the church of Jesus Christ. You can have great teaching. You can have total intolerance for heretical teaching. And they are good. That's what Jesus says here. You guys have done well. I commend you for these things. But without the practice of godly love, they will no longer be called the church of Jesus Christ. And then finally, the promise of being with Jesus for all eternity in paradise is given to all those who are genuine followers of Jesus. That is fantastic. We get to be with Jesus for all eternity. We get to be with Him. Caleb and I were having a conversation